Hello and welcome to the LDCU Talking Online Learning Podcast. My name is Jim Judges. In this episode, I talk to English language tutor Ian Pemberton about his work and about his recent project using and developing a video-based resource to support language learning. We also talk about wider issues related to the use of technology, as well as unpacking some of Ian's ideas and philosophies around teaching and learning languages. His ideas are based on years of experience and are well worth listening to. Certainly plenty of food for thought. Okay, so I'm here with Ian Pemberton from Warwick Foundation Studies, but rather than me introduce you, perhaps Ian, you could introduce yourself, say a little bit about your role and your work at Warwick. Okay, um, I've worked on the uh, Warwick campus since 2016. Um, as you pointed out, Jim, I'm in the Foundation Studies Department and I'm a teacher of English for academic purposes. And I help to prepare international students, uh, pre-undergraduate students for undergraduate studies. That's interesting to hear. And, and your students, I believe, are um, international and come from all points of the globe? Um, we do have students from many different countries, although it, it's notable that approximately 65% of our student cohort are from mainland China. Although, having said that, that's uh, across the UK and possibly across higher education institutions in the world, there are very many Chinese students um, studying. I wonder if, first of all, we could find out a little bit about your PGA uh, PGA TEL project. Could you say something about that? Tell us what you've done and uh, what what stage you're at and, and what happened. Um, I got involved in the PGA TEL because I was teaching English to um, very large classes in lecture theatres. Um, this is in the, in the pre-pandemic days. And I was just simply looking to use an app, a, a voting app, just to collect students opinions about things and to, to engage more of the students and then display their work um, on the um, screen at the front. Um, but ultimately, my pr uh, project morphed into something different. And I looked at the use of a video for um, second language learning, in particular with our students in relation to an external English language examination uh, that that they were taking up until last year. I see. And can you, can you say something a, a bit more about this video uh, then? Is this video that you're producing and making? And so how is it used? How does it support the, the learners? Um, I used YouTube videos. So I would make materials. It's, it's all video based. That's the first thing I would say. So yeah. with a student coming into the classroom from beginning to end, it's all video based. I used YouTube videos because um, they're intrinsically interesting um, to get a high level of student engagement and because I could select videos that covered pretty much any topic I wished to study. Now this English language exam that I've talked about that the students were taking um, covers a range of, of general topics so I was able to go and, and get videos on the kind of topics um, that they might be asked to write about or speak yeah. about. Um, can I ask you, therefore, what's the idea behind using the 
the video in that you've already said it will it will draw the student in it will be engaging uh, but what do they what do they do with it they watch a video do they look at the captions do they have to answer questions how are they using it basically i would i would design materials that were similar to the the kinds of tasks that they would do in the examination so for example the students might have to complete uh, a summary or they might have to complete notes or they might have to answer uh, short answer questions um, and then on on the basis of that they might have to write an essay or a report or uh, answer uh, questions and answers in a, a speaking assessment as well. So that was the basis of the, the materials. It was video plus activities or tasks that, that were similar to the ones that they would do in yes. the exam. Um, the, the main focus of the, the lessons being listening, or shall we say watching and, and listening yes. more properly. And what about that task of answering the questions or doing the summary? What would they do that in or on? Were they just writing on their own notes and handing that in or were you using any any other tool? Well, when I began, it was kind of quasi. I was teaching the students in class. That was the first thing. And so they had their laptops and they're watching the video, but the materials were paper based. So I would hand out um the, the the questions or, or the summary the gap summary or the gap notes at the beginning and then they they would work on paper but ultimately the materials evolved with the arrival of the covid pandemic they evolved into being uh, completely uh, online yeah yeah and interactive and what tools were you using? Were you you're using Moodle, uh, I imagine. Um, and are they are they submitting their entries using a Moodle tool, using the assignment, using H5P, or what do they do to actually submit their answers? Yeah, I was using um, Moodle as the the content management system, and using H5P. To, I now use H5P to design the materials, and actually I've, I've continued from. I think I chose to do the the PGA tell at a really good time. The timing was incredible in in, in the sense that we went online. <laughs> Everything yes. went online. Okay. So I was able to use what I learned on the PGA tell to design all of the materials to teach my students this year. And what's your reflection on that on that project? Is this something that you're going to continue? It was successful or have you got any ideas for adapting or improving what you've done? Well, basically what I did when I reached the end of the, the year, I, I took the reason I did the PGA tell was to push myself to, as I said, I started off thinking it was just going to be about using an app to, to get um, to, to do voting with the students in class. And then I decided to push myself to um, to, to learn skills and to learn how to teach the students online and to make online materials um, and when I finished that in, in July of last year, in August, I built a website, coincidentally, or perhaps not so coincidentally, for the uh, for preparation for IELTS. Um, so I've got my own website now, and, and quite recently I entered it into an international competition with the, the British Council, the British Council 
Elton's Awards, um, Elton's being English language teaching. So it's the kind of uh, British Council yeah, awards for um, English language teaching. And it mainly attracts the, the big publishers. They enter their uh, textbook series and, and things like that and anything that they consider to be innovative. But I'm, I'm, I'm entering as an independent, but I will be going up against people like uh, Macmillan and Oxford, OUP and, and yeah. Cambridge and uh, pretty much any of the big publishers that you can think of. Just thinking about your experience more broadly with regard to teaching and learning last year and the imposed move to online learning. Do you want to say something about your experience as a teacher and uh, any challenges and solutions, perhaps? Well, my experience has been mixed and it's also in different phases as well. So so going online has has influenced the students in, in different ways for different reasons. So what's happened this year is completely different to what happened last year when we went online. Yes. And there are very specific reasons for that that I might need to explain. Yeah, be good point. to be good to hear actually. And I and I appreciate when I've spoken to other people that when your students went online in the summer last year, presumably you you'd already got to know them quite well. Um, whereas this year you've got that challenge of new students who you might never meet in the real world. Uh, but uh, anyway, do do tell us uh, if you want to unpick some of that. Yeah, tell us what it was like. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll try and be as concise as possible, but also give you enough background information to understand the situation. But we went when we went online last year. Um, our job as English teachers uh, within the department was preparing the students for this external exam. Now, I've, I've been teaching on on the programme for about 14 years, so for a long time, and um, I've been preparing the students for this for this external exam since 2011, 2012, I think. Um, so, so again, quite a long time, maybe about eight years, um, and experience the same thing every year. By the time we get to the summer term, the Warwick IFP students, um, they're so busy with preparing for their final exams and they have a very heavy assessment workload that they they put English onto a back burner. Although they've got the exam coming up, they know they can take it in the summer. They know they can study after they, they finish the programme. So students would tend to disengage from the programme. And what I found was with going online, I found that um, attendance improved. If you look at how many students were in the meeting in a particular lesson, attendance improved. But then if you looked at the analytics to to see how much work they were actually doing, um, it was a lot less than when they had been in the classroom. So students were simply signing in, um, but they were they were off. They were doing their assessments in their academic subjects and they were preparing for their final exams. Uh, but that's been my experience throughout the the entire time that I've, I've taught uh, or prepared students for the um, the external exam at this time of year. Yeah, we took a, a decision to discontinue the exam at the end of last year and to to do our own exam, which we were doing for the first time this year. Yeah. Um, many years ago, going back to, let's say, pre-2011, and we did actually have our own exams. Yeah. And we started doing this external exam due to changes brought in by the UK Border Agency. Okay. Um, but we've discontinued it 
And what I've found this year is now that we have our own in-house exam, it's made a huge difference to the attendance. And at this time of the year, when I would be expecting students to be off doing assessments and revising, um, I've got pretty much 100% attendance. So yeah. it's been an incredible boost in my yeah. attendance, which I'm really pleased about. <laughs> That's what about the general day-to-day teaching and learning experience of using the online tools? So how have you found delivery through uh, Microsoft Teams, presumably? And how have you found the use of Moodle and other technology? Uh, how, how have you taken to that and what's your experience been? Um, I was a big user of Microsoft OneNote in, in the days when nobody knew what it was, even before the pandemic. Um, but funnily enough, at the beginning of the, the first lockdown, uh, we started using OneNote, but I experienced quite a lot of technical difficulties. This is in the last academic year, and we actually discontinued OneNote. And this year, I decided not to use that again. So we have been using Teams. And you know, in some respects, Teams has been good, and it has a lot of flexibility, and it has the breakout rooms. It's got a lot of interesting features um, that you can use in different ways. I've also been using Moodle. I've been keeping the stuff on Moodle rather than putting it in Teams. Yeah. So I've been using that as the both the content management and the learner management system. I'm also interested in the Teams meeting side, uh, the webinars. Is that is that something you've used previously, whether it's Skype or Blackboard? But but has this tool for live classroom teaching? How have how have you found that? Um, not before the pandemic, we started using Teams, um, not not for lessons, but just for contact between members of, of my teaching team. Yeah. And I found myself a, a bit overwhelmed by it, it made me contactable all of the time. And um, I was constantly yes. being messaged, so messaged yeah. and then emailed through Outlook. Yeah. And I found that a bit overwhelming at first. I, I felt yes. uncomfortable with it. So yes. I kind of, I turned off all of the alerts. Yes, yes. All of those functions as far as possible. Um, but then, of course, w- when the pandemic hit, we had to turn them all back on again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And, and then I had to make my peace with Teams and start using it. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting what you say about that overwhelming communication and and alerts. I think that's something people will sympathise with. I certainly can. And um, it does seem that instead of one tool replacing another, we're just layering tools on top of each other. So you end up with more channels, which can be can be challenging. Um, yeah. And then what about the teaching process using this tool to deliver compared to being in the classroom? Are there are there uh, benefits, but are there also disadvantages? Do you have a preference? And are you looking forward to the days when we can get back into the classroom? Um, I like digital delivery and I would genuinely hope that we're able to keep some features of it, but I'm concerned that we'll go back to doing exact, as, as much as everybody says, yes, we will maintain certain features of it. And I'm, I'm sure some people will want to um, divest of it completely, but there are some things, it's not only Teams, but also Moodle. I've, I've really got to learn about and use Moodle a lot more. Yeah, and there are certain things I would be a hundred percent in favour of keeping. My concern is that um, to use these tools, once we get back into the classroom, the students will have to carry in their laptops, which obviously yes. they have been doing during face-to-face teaching this year. 
But I've found in the past that students, they don't like to be carrying heavy laptops around. No. So they might be slightly resistant to that or students will rock up and they haven't got their laptop with them. And yeah. then you've got an issue about how to do the lessons. Yes. Yes, and it, it might be that uh, smartphone and mobile-friendly activities might be a help, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Um, okay, well that's that's interesting to hear. Perhaps just thinking about the future. I don't know if you've uh, you're uh, presumably very busy with this summer term anyway, but have you got an eye on uh, next academic year? Do you know yet? what your delivery model is likely to be. Do, do any of us know, I suppose? And and um, are you, are you um, working on anything or developing anything for the coming months? It's not completely clear. We're not in the process. I mean, given that we haven't finished the academic year yet, we're still finishing off this one. We haven't actually sat down and decided what we're going to do next year, other than had um, incidental conversations, which suggest that it we'll keep some features and it may be a hybrid model and we're not quite sure where we stand with regard to exams whether they will be online or in the classroom but but for us as english teachers it would make a lot more sense for them to as far as possible for them to be in the classroom and in terms of the security of the examinations um You've, you've obviously got issues when you're doing them online and um, whatever steps you happen to take and they would be more secure if yeah. we're able to to do them with the students sat in front of us yes in the yes okay and um one question i might ask um and i often ask is if somebody was joining your team or starting to teach maybe using technology, uh, do you have any uh, tips or advice, uh, something perhaps that you've learned that you wish you'd known earlier or just any observations? Mm. I, I think technology is very much a personal preference. And uh, I mean, what I always say to teachers, I think um, th there's lots of views about what is the best way to teach a language. And my view is what I always say to teachers is whatever you feel most comfortable with is the best way. So it doesn't matter what the theory is, what I think, if you if you feel uncomfortable with that and you feel more comfortable with something different, then um, that's the best thing for you and the students. And I, I think it's, it's the same with technology. Um, if a, a teacher feels comfortable with technology, they'll do well with it if they're basically uncomfortable. Yeah. then it's not going to go well because they don't have that confidence in the tools that they're using. Yes. So it, it would be a bit difficult to advise in that sense. Yes, or, but but maybe that means, therefore, stick to what um, you enjoy, stick to what appeals to you. And as you say, good advice, stick to what you're comfortable with, perhaps. The other thing is, for me as a, a, a language teacher is I'm actually a big believer in autonomous learning. So for me, the use of technology, use of H5P has been fantastic. And I've been able to get the students to learn pretty much autonomously with some coming together from time to time. But I try and minimise that as much as possible. So the students are working, interacting with the materials. But the the field that I work in, um, there's um, the, the, so the general ethos of the field or the so general belief within the field is that um, language teaching and learning is an interactive process that involves students communicating with each other 
uh, and basically talking to each other. So it's very difficult for a language teacher like myself to come along and say, well, actually, I think I believe in autonomy and there should be more autonomy and students should work individually and independently. So, again, it puts me in a difficult position yes. and I wouldn't actually try to advise others. Again, I would go, I would say to teachers, if that's if you think that's the best way of doing it, then that's how you should do it. Yes. OK, well, no, this is uh, this is all interesting to hear. And it's interesting to uh, hear about your uh, work and the challenges from this last year. Was there anything else that we haven't talked about that you might that you might mention or have we missed anything? I mean, the only thing I, I would say is I'm, I'm a bit of, um, I don't know, a heretic. In t I mean, I've been teaching for a long time, Jim. I've been teaching for 30 years. There's a, a strong sense of status quo within the field that's unlikely to change anytime soon. And it's very difficult to, to win people over to new ideas or different ideas. Working in, in language teaching, it's, it's something of an orthodox church. Yes. Um, which is why I've been perhaps giving these sort of slightly vague answers. No, this is interesting. And, and I, maybe I'm interrupting you. But when I when you talked about your video learning idea, it's interesting just to observe that I've seen advertised a commercial product. If I want to learn French, I can now learn French by watching TV. Have you seen this product? I think it's quite sort of new. I think the idea is you can freeze it and have a look at the captions and uh, da da da. But presumably uh, this appeals to the Netflix YouTube generation um, because all I have to do is uh, is sit there and watch something. But I guess it's uh, harder than that. Well, most of the um, you know, I've, I've talked about um, how I've, I've entered my website in the, the yeah. British Council yeah. Alton's Awards. Now, um, I've got, unfortunately, I've got some technical issues with the website and I, I might I might get knocked down. I've actually passed the first round of judging yeah. and I'm in the second round of judging at the moment. Now, I've got a lot of confidence in what I've done because I believe it to be a truly innovative product. Whereas yeah. what the big publishers tend to produce, the, the Macmillans and the Oxford University Presses, um, Pearson and, and so on, they tend to produce stuff that's the same as the stuff that they've always produced. And yes. it's, it's very difficult because of the risk involved. They won't yeah. take anything on sort of completely no. new and completely innovative. Now, that gives me a chance yeah. to, to, to do well. I'm not going to say to win, but yeah. it gives me a chance to do well. What's your problem. unique selling point then? How does yours differ from... Just an online textbook, well, if you like. How does yours? Basically, because it's based on listening. And listening is something we call in English language teaching. It's known as the Cinderella skill, which means it's a skill that's ignored in favor of the other skills, reading, writing, and particularly speaking. Yes. People tend to ignore listening because it's a bit difficult to do in the classroom because the teacher um, historically had to stand at the front and press the tape recorder and play the, the, the tape three times and then stop it and, and yeah. so on. But the, the point is, and this is how what I've produced differs from other products on the market and, and why video is important, is that video draws upon the primary biological skills of watching and listening. And we use these two skills to learn our first language. And all of us, anyone, any cognitively normal person has learned their first language to to fluency. We're all fluent in our first language. And yes. it, it, does, it doesn't matter what your IQ is. Yes. 
I know nothing about it, um, of course, except that I did learn English at one point and I observed uh, perhaps children and even my own children when they were growing up. So when you singing, say you learn English, you mean as a, as a mother tongue? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> and I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all I mean. So and it was very easy, I have to say. It's one of the easiest languages I've learned, a lot easier than French. But, uh, but, but I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to be funny, really. point I was going to make was that um, singing is seems to be a big part of what happens at nursery and uh, uh, and the like and I don't know if that's just to keep kids entertained but it, but is is there something there in in music um, and um, I suppose singing and music isn't isn't used very often in in language learning is it but is there anything there out of interest Do you have a view on that yes of course I do Jim um, <laughs> Singing involves rhythm and intonation, and these these two factors are very important because the, the humans are biologically adapted. We've evolved over millennia to be able to, to learn languages using general learning skills, and we use sound, and in the case of English, well, all languages, it will be rhythm and intonation um, to understand the words in the first place, and and to remember them. Yes. So singing, and we all know how we can remember the words of the song, right? And there's yeah. various reasons for that. But these, what we call uh, prosodic or phonological features, help us to remember the language. Now, where we've got classrooms, uh, traditional classrooms, even conventional classrooms today, where the focus is on reading and writing, as our IELTS classes yeah. were, yeah. Um, that's not going to work because it doesn't involve sound and because we're biologically adapted to learn from sound. Um, reading and writing are biologically secondary skills that have to be taught in the classroom yes. by expert instructors. And many people are unable to learn them, even though they're being taught by experts. Yes, yes. So and, and the other point, the big thing I talked about, the, the orthodoxy within yes. the English language teaching field. Uh, and the conventions. And um, the big thing in English language teaching and speaking, and there's a very strong, deep and abiding belief that people learn by speaking. And, it, and you, you could you could pick a, a language teacher and probably ask them and they'd say, yeah, people learn by speaking. And they'll tell you that it's the same as driving. That yeah. if you want to be, uh, if you want to learn how to drive, you, you have to drive. So if you want to learn how to speak, you have to speak. But that completely glosses over, uh, misses the, or misunderstands the problem. Yeah. Really, it, it's not about speaking, and actually, you don't learn by speaking, which which is a controversial statement. Yes. You do learn. You can learn something by speaking, but not a lot. Yeah. Learning occurs in two ways: when you listen and when you read, or in the case of a video, when you watch and when you read, which we're biologically adapted to do. Yes, to watch yes. and listen and to learn and to learn to a degree of fluency. What do you think if uh, if I didn't speak, if I was learning a language and I just read and listened um, so I could recognize the words, would I would I naturally be able to speak them or, or do I have to actually start to get my mouth and muscles around some some words? If you see what I mean, could that would that be a problem if well, I just tried to read and, and listen rather than speak? First, first of all, the, the reading is not going to be much help in, in helping you to speak because mm. 
you you won't experience the sounds of the words. Yeah. Um, you can, of course, you can learn from reading, but what I'm suggesting is it's less effective and it yes. doesn't teach you the sounds of the words. If you go back and think about your mother tongue, yeah. you learnt it all through sound, Yes. through yes. listening, okay? And then when you came to reading, you, you were already fluent, essentially. Yes. So you just had the problem there of, of understanding what the yes. written symbols on the page yeah. were. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. You can learn from reading and it's more useful for, for more advanced students who understand the the language as a sound system. So when they read the symbols, they know yes. what they sound like already. Yes. Um, but, but still, what you do is when you read, you create um, a kind of iconic, imagic memory. So you've got a memory of of, the, of an image, basically. But what you're not doing is you're not creating a sound memory. And the, the brain's adapted to to yes. store both kinds of memory. Yes. But there's a, a primacy on sound and yeah. listening, but we can also learn. Well, as, as I've explained, you can learn from watching. Yes. Um, script written on a page is a bit more difficult to learn from. Yeah. And I, wouldn't, and I wouldn't recommend it. And the reason that many people go on fail to learn languages it's because they do they do learn from reading, practicing reading and writing, or perhaps spending a lot of time speaking. And it's not unusual to find learners, like myself as a learner, who have been put into situations where teachers have made us speak, and then I've thought, well, this is not doing me any good whatsoever. I'm not learning a thing. I'm just speaking. When you speak, Jim, you're using the language that you already know. You're not learning anything new. No. And some people will say, well, yeah, but you learn from the other person. Yes, you can learn a little bit from the other person, yeah, but you're focused yeah, on meaning. Much. And yeah. what you don't tend to do is you don't tend to pick up new words and you don't tend to pick up new patterns because you don't have time. Yes. And anything that's new, anything that's genuinely new, you won't understand anyway. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, I'm sorry about this, Jim. Then the argument is that, well, couldn't you, you know, you can keep stopping the person. You can negotiate the meaning with them. You can ask them what they mean. But if you try that with another human being, they're very quickly going to get tired of you and they're going to get tired of speaking. You can't stop them every time you don't understand uh, something. Uh, and, and we don't we don't tend to do that. We tend to we, or certainly what I do. And I'm sure I'm, I'm not unrepresentative. So I'll tend to let the conversation go on and then try Instead of stopping the person, try and understand from what they say next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what about we'll we better finish? But this is a good philosophical discussion, and you obviously know your um, subject and uh, pedagogy very, very well, and have thought about it a lot more than than I have. So what would your tip be then if you were in charge of language teaching? What would your tip be? What would you say, even in school, for example? Well, first of all, I wouldn't I wouldn't start with beginners. I don't have any so today. As of today, I don't have any solutions for beginners. No. Um, and I reckon you can teach them any which way. You can teach them grammar. You can teach them just just do do what we normally do. Yeah. I think when you take students through beginner level um, and, and the early stages, you can teach them any which way. I'm not okay. against grammar, by the way. Okay. Um, and when you get them up to about an intermediate level, ah, right. yeah, then. Yeah. At that point, you know enough language to work with video. Okay? Right, right. And what I would say is give the students high interest. With, what I would say is don't 
have the student don't spend a lot of time with the students speaking to each other in class yes which is a difficult thing to say to teachers and especially yes. language teachers because it doesn't work it couldn't work it couldn't ever work yeah yeah that's interesting right. because it's a productive skill and it only practices what students already know so it yes. doesn't teach them anything new now the amount to, to to get fluent in a language the amount of language that you have to acquire the amount of vocabulary you have to acquire is huge mm. absolutely huge and you can't mess around spending time on productive activities no um, it's it's all about new input and fresh input and it's that experience of the input um language is emergent from input yes like you can't teach somebody it's it's get it's doing it the wrong way around teaching them rules and say okay these are the rules these are the words you you, you plug the words into the rules and then you're fluent okay it doesn't work like that no the, the grammar emerges from the concrete examples of language. So you need as many of those as possible. Yes. And the best way to get them is from high interest videos on subjects you're interested in. But most importantly, the, the advice I, I commonly hear from anybody, including um, managers, teachers, members of the public, friends, is watch movies. Yeah. And actually watch movies together with read the newspaper. Yeah. And watch TV and watch the BBC News. And this is the advice that's most commonly given. But none of these things will actually work. Yeah. OK. It's not everybody believes that and it's not wrong per se, but it is not enough. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. It's not enough. And basically what I would say to anyone that was learning a language is you have to stop you have to stop the video you have to go back you have to analyze it you have to internalize the language so when i'm studying language what i will do is i'll take a 30 minute video and i'll go through every single conversational interaction and whenever i hear something new i'll stop it listen to it again i'll check the meaning then i'll go through a process of internalizing it by repeating it using my working memory and even that is not enough um, then and what I do is is I use flashcards and I'm able to use digital flashcards because I, I will very quickly forget the language. And if it isn't revisited, it's a frequency issue. You need the freq you need to meet a word a certain number of times in order to learn a word or phrase. Yes, or yes. Expression. So that also needs to happen. So it's all about the input, it's having enough input, fresh input, but also not only watching the movie, which is ineffective. But analysing it and yes. going through all the interactions and listening for all the, the new language. And at that point, yeah. the, the learner has the opportunity to learn it. It's a big job. And yeah. that's why you need the motivation of something you're interested in. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Well, that that's good. And a lot of what you're saying makes sense. And certainly the fact that we're able to learn language and and many uh, past civilizations have quite happily spoken language without worrying about writing it down and what it might look like on a page. Yeah, that's uh, interesting to hear. Thanks there to Ian Pemberton. I enjoyed talking to him and finding out more about his work, his use of technology his video project and also his ideas and wider thoughts on language teaching. I hope you enjoyed it too. If you 
you and a colleague or your team would like to get together for a professional discussion and recorded interview to talk about anything related to online learning, then please do get in touch with me, Jim Judges. Otherwise, please keep an eye on the LDCU website. Look out for forthcoming workshops, open discussions and other support. Until next time, thanks for listening.